Hello, everyone, and welcome back to Video Store Nightmares, the podcast where we discuss the strange, the bizarre, and the roach-infested films of the VHS era. Tonight, we are talking about, oh, the, the most Christmas of Christmas movies, and that's Silent Night, Deadly Night 4, Initiation. My name is Luke, and I'm joined by Leland. Listeners, as of this broadcast, you can find 1990s Silent Night, Deadly Night 4, Initiation, on Tubi for free. Uh, Luke, I think this is only the second longest title we've covered. First being, Sometimes Aunt Martha Does Dreadful Things. Well, so I was under a mis- an, an incorrect assumption. I had thought that prior to today... I'd always thought this must have been an unrelated movie, right? That somebody wrote a movie called Initiation that was about a feminist cult that worships Lilith and does something with bugs, right? And then they were like, well, we need another Silent Night, Deadly Night movie. Like, let's just throw your movie in and we'll shoehorn it into being a Christmas movie. That's what I've always thought. But apparently they were actually trying to use this for an earlier silent night deadly night movie because that was its original intention to be like the third one or something and then it ended up being turned down and then accepted later and ultimately it came out but it's just a it has nothing to do with the rest of the franchise this is the halloween three of the silent night deadly night franchise this is the only silent night deadly night film i have seen to date so that did not come up at all, but it really had me wondering what the first three were about. <laughs> well, you should go watch the first three. They're fun, but every podcast out there has covered them. They've been talked about to death, so I really didn't want to get into them. A lot of people do five as well, The Toy Maker, which is a pretty cool entry, but this is the really weird one of the series. But you know what else, what other distinction this has for our show? This is the first Clint Howard movie we're doing. This is a little surprising. How did we make it this long? <laughs> and he actually gets a really prominent role in this one. I, 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 He's my favorite part of the movie. I struggle to think of another film where he gets just as much screen time as this, except what the ice cream man ice cream man he's in a lot um but his first movie or one of his first movies as like a young adult evil speak he's the main character Ooh, yeah okay i've not seen that one oh it's great we should cover it at some point he plays like an awkward teen at a military academy and programs like an old dos computer system to worship satan <laughs> That sounds fantastic. Yeah, it's fun. It's good. Oh, and then there's like wild pigs too. I forgot about them. Naturally, right. Yeah. Um, But no, so uh, we got Clint Howard and feminist witches and lots of bugs because this is a Brian Usna film, most famous for doing society and the reanimator sequels. Um Actually, apparently a lot of this movie was originally part of the script for Society because they were both written by, in addition to being directed by Brian Usna, they were both written by Zephy Daniel. And 
a lot of the ideas got reused for this film, but this film actually got released first. So even though society was made first, it was shelved for quite a while. And so this movie ended up coming out first. So I'm assuming all the uh, weird sex cult stuff was supposed to be in society. Uh, One can only imagine. This is a weird, like, I don't even know how you would categorize this film, right? I don't know why it's a Christmas movie. I don't know why it was called a Christmas movie. I have no idea where there's giant, giant bugs in it. Like, there's a lot about this movie that I don't understand, and yet I do kind of like it. Do you think Die Hard is a Christmas film? Sort of. So I feel like this is in that same category. There's a story that is taking place during the holidays. If that is your criteria for a Christmas film, this qualifies. Let's just say it's a step down in Christmas from the other films of the franchise. I I will say that they really do try to, to explain it in universe with uh, the main character telling someone at one point that all sorts of cultures worship the end of the year holidays differently. It doesn't matter what form they take. It's just their way to celebrate. Well, also, and I've never understood this as, as I can't remember when I first saw this movie, but Clint Howard's character in this movie is named a Ricky. The main character slash killer Santa in the first three movies is named a Ricky. So I don't know if Clint Howard is supposed to be like a version of that character in the future or if it's just a total coincidence. You're going to have to muse on that one by yourself since I haven't seen any of the other ones. Well, regardless, it doesn't matter. There's no tangible connection. But do you think this movie would have more attention paid to it if it had been released as its own movie and not a silent night deadly night movie probably like when you see an established horror franchise with like you know three plus entries it's really easy especially when you're like 20 plus years into the future to to overlook just something like that because most of the time sequels are just derivative and lesser quality they're just being pumped out to to milk them what money is left of the fan base but from what you're telling me this is so off the rails that it probably alienated uh, yeah the alienated the fan base of silent night deadly night right Am, am i getting that impression i dude i don't know but this film is bonkers it is bonkers. <laughs> I was <laughs> listen. I I walk into these films without looking anything up, and this was <laughs> not the direction I thought a Christmas horror film was supposed to go in. Like I was already kind of shocked by Christmas Evil, kind of breaking the mold of what a Psycho Santa Claus should be, and then this shit just takes it to the next level. This is or, like or takes it down a few levels, like into the sub basement. I don't know. You know, it was a year ago now we did Elves, but this is kind of like an AIP film to me. It's (laughs) it's got that same like wackiness, even more than other Brian Yuzna films, like all his films are wacky. But this one really is off the rails. Um, It's it's one of the Brian Yuzna films I like the best, I think. 
but I'm not a well, huge fan of his, so that's not saying that much. But yeah, we'll get but into this, that later. Yeah, but this film's budget is way higher than anything we've seen from AIP. And I feel like it's played more straight, sort of. I I don't know how big the budget for this film would have been. Like, um, the the special effects were do were done by um oh shit, what is his name? Crazy Mad George. Uh, who also did the special effects for society. And you can tell, right. They look very similar. Um, but he was, I think known for doing like amazing things with, with low budgets. So I, I'm not sure how big the budget for this movie was. Big enough that they were able to create a giant cockroach, giant animated cockroach. I don't know. Brian used or uh, Screaming Mad George can do some magic, I think. But basically, the story of this movie is that there's a spontaneous combustion that a girl boss secretary gets to investigate. And this leads her into a feminist cult that worships Lilith and... I think manifest their fears as bugs, which they subsequently sacrifice people to do. I, is that the plot as far as you got it? As far as I got it, but I do have to say there's a big emphasis on personal sacrifice to gain power. Yet we never see any use of that power at all. No, it's like is is the use of the power is the power itself just like the ability to not be attracted to men? Do, do, do you really need black magic for that? I don't know. There's some emphasis on um the main character Kim suddenly getting what she wants, right? Like she gets the story she wants, and her assistant or the other secretary there is like, Well, you got exactly what you wanted. And there's like a musical cue that goes, dun you know, it's it, she's it's like the the deal with the devil sort of thing i figured that was some illuminati shit i didn't think it was the result of magic oh maybe i don't know anyway let's play the trailer and then um i think we're gonna do a walkthrough on this one because there's so much wacky shit in this movie a bizarre event the bizarre suicide. An inexplicable phenomenon. No ID. They said they know nothing about it. This would make a great story. For her, it was the chance of a lifetime. I work for the LAI. I'm an investigative reporter. There's got to be some logical explanation for the burning. But some questions. Get away from me! Leave me alone! Are better left unanswered. What happened? Are you all right? Ah! The woman who jumped. She was my daughter. But now you've come to take her place. Make your fear real. Get it out. It's the night you've been waiting for. Kill the man. The night you've been screaming for. It's the final step. Silent night. Deadly night. Four. Emaciation. The one of us now. Join the club. Oh, 90s trailers are so... They make me cringe. Join the club, Leland. Ugh. So this movie opens with 
with homeless Clint Howard watching a woman spontaneously combust, or at least her legs, and then she falls off of a roof. What were your thoughts? You just described that so casually. Clint Howard is a homeless guy. It's just pushing his cart, minding his own business at like three in the morning on a city street. When he hears this woman scream from a rooftop, <laughs> her lower half torso bursts into flames. She then falls off the building, slams onto the concrete, and his first reaction is to mosey on up to the body and shove his hand into her burned ass cheek where <laughs> her body used to be and just feel around. I thought for sure he was going to taste it. I thought for sure, too. Before that, he picks up a burger off the street, half eaten, and it's covered in bugs. And he goes, oh, no cheese. Before <laughs> that was, taking a bite. That was a good Clint Howard impression. <laughs> anyway, uh, you, you know, this movie gets off to a great start. <laughs> The the only the only real nitpick here is this person this this woman falls off like what an eight story building and is completely intact when she hits the ground. I mean, obviously it's a dummy, but oh, with the movie that ends up getting like more visceral as it goes on, it's kind of surprising they didn't make this more graphic. Yeah, I I get that. Maybe they just didn't want to spoil it too early. Maybe too early in the film. What's funny is that in the resulting scenes, this becomes, uh, you know, a crime investigation, right? And so there's actually a chalk outline on the sidewalk where her body falls. But and, it's only of the top half. Well, it's of both. But for some reason, it's like the chalk on the lower half was drawn under the ashes of the suit, which makes no sense whatsoever. I thought there was just like burned mark, like scorch marks on the asphalt for the lower half. Maybe, but it looks like they drew the chalk and then, <laughs> and then the lower half was like charred on top of it. It makes no sense. It stays there for the rest of the movie. Like in reality, <laughs> how long do these chalk outlines stay? Uh, one rainwash. Yeah, and well, then you keep in mind this is a busy, there. busy pedestrian traffic. It, it wouldn't last very long. Well, after this scene, we switch to our main characters, which we have Kim, who we already mentioned. Her boyfriend is Hank, and they both work at a newspaper. And the head editor is played by Reggie Bannister from Phantasm, as an obnoxious chauvinist. Right? Um, he totally ignores our main character, like. She wants to be a reporter, but he sends her off to get coffee. This is such a 90s setup. Like, this was feminism in the 90s, right? Fucking your coworker to get ahead in the workplace? No, I mean, the uh, the the men in the office won't let me do my job, so I'm oh, going right. to go off and do it anyway. Yeah. But, I mean, if all the men in your office are so chauvinistic, why why are you dating them? Is it because you feel, I guess this is the mindset of the film, right? Like men are awful, but what's my alternative? And it's like, you know, in the year 2022, it's like, well, the alternative is obvious, but back then I guess it wasn't. Well, 
<laughs> I, I guess her boyfriend. I guess Hank is the least bad of the men in the office. At least he apologizes. Yeah, I mean, he he probably could be more supportive, but she kind of flies off the handle. Oh, oh, definitely. Yeah, I'm not exonerating anyone in this movie. Um, <laughs> in fact, that's one of my complaints about it, but we'll get there. But uh, Reggie Bannister, like, I feel like I know him so well because I've been seeing him for so many years in Phantasm movies. To see him in, like, the opposite kind of role where he's, like, chauvinist and a dick is weird. It's actually pretty effective to me, though. Like, I thought he was kind of funny in it, but I also thought, like, why is Reggie being such a dick? <laughs> you know, because I have this association with him and only one other role. The betrayal. It, exactly. But, yeah, there's also this other girl, Janice, and... uh Kim is like the only way to get around the only way to get anywhere around here is if you have a dick why do we need men anyway <laughs> it's, I don't like any of these characters if you can't tell so Kim wants to do a story about the spontaneous combustion but it, it, the men in her office ignore her but she decides to go and do the story anyway right and she starts by talking about the guy who works at the fresh meat place the butcher He's all like covered in blood and uh, he thinks that she must have been a hooker. He thinks everyone's a hooker. We find out later. We're kind of understating just how um, dirty this butcher be like he waddles out of his of his shop. And even though he has an apron on, he's dressed in like standard clothing t-shirt jeans and both of his arms are just covered in dried mostly dried blood um his apron is like completely stained with blood um it typically isn't somebody you would like stop and talk to on the street you would keep walking but kim here you know she's full of feminism and girl boss power she's not she's not being deterred by this she is trying i think she just I think the director just wanted them to have something to do. I think that was it. But they've got, there's like a gumball machine on the side of the street and she's fiddling with it and she can't get it to work. And so he bangs it on top so that the, whatever it is comes out, it looks like trail mix. I think like it's nuts. Yeah. Nuts or something, which I can't imagine getting out of a gumball machine on the side of the street. But he holds them in his grubby, bloody, muddy hands, and then he gives like half of them to her, and they both munch on them. Well, she doesn't munch on them. No, she never does. <laughs> no, she holds on to them, and then after she walks around the street corner, she throws them on the street. Okay, good. Because I couldn't imagine eating one of those. But she goes into this bookstore and runs into Clint Howard, literally, like they run into each other. Um, and he wipes something on her butt. Like he's following her around and being a creep, but then he like wipes his hand on her butt. It's like the tail of her jacket. Okay. Is he just like feeling the material? What is he doing? I got the impression that he was marking her for something. Oh, maybe. So, we don't know a lot about no. Ricky right now, but he turns out to have a bigger role in the very first scene than we are initially led to believe. 
Yeah, I'm not sure I even understand anyone's role or what it is they do. It's never spelled out for us very clearly. This movie, it reminds me a lot of Mind, Body, and Soul. I feel like they're very similar in my mind for some reason. Oh, God, I'm drawing I'm drawing the correlations right now. Yeah, you feel them, right? I'm, yeah, I'm feeling them now. So is she literally, after the scuffle with Clint Howard, she literally asks if they have a book on spontaneous combustion. <laughs> and she, what is the shopkeeper's name? I need to look it up because this woman becomes a main character too. Fema. She does not look like a Fema, but okay. Uh, who does? <laughs> Fema is like a Middle Eastern name. I don't know. It, it, it. Regardless, she meets Fema, who shows her where to get a book on spontaneous combustion, but they kind of befriend one another. There's a weird scene where Kim shakes Fema's hand, but Fema won't let go of Kim's. It's very uncomfortable, actually. Like, if this happened to me in real life, it would be so awkward. This is after she's been marked. So you kind of get the impression, if this is your first watch, that, you know, there's there's kind of a setup coming here. Well, then she offer, she accepts the offer of a date off of a, off of, uh, out of a bowl on the counter. And because um, it's a movie and because we can sense that things are off like i would not have accepted this date but in the film she does and it still has the seat in it <laughs> yeah the pit and she spits it out and the employee takes it fema takes it in her hand in like a tissue it's yeah. really gross i i just can't imagine spitting something into a napkin that a stranger is holding <laughs> no i can't either but also, at this point in the story, I thought FEMA had like a sexual attraction to Kim, but it turns out that she actually is more of a maternal person. She wants a replacement for her daughter. And so I thought of it in that sense, like that is something you might do for your daughter. That does make sense. But for Kim, I can't understand doing it. Like, it's just, it's just strange. I also thought there might be something where they like took the pit and they needed her DNA or something like they needed something she chewed on to cast a spell. But the movie never does anything like that. There is a repeat incident where she eats another date kind of like fed to her. Yeah. Well, sort of. It turns into a beetle and then she eats it. <laughs> Very violently, by the way. Very violently, right. There's a whole thing where FEMA wants her to take this book, but she doesn't want it. She can't accept it, but eventually she does take it, as well as an invitation to come to a picnic the next day. So what were your automatic assumptions about FEMA? Well, I figured we were going to be seeing FEMA a lot more later in the film. I figured it was no coincidence that uh, Ricky was in the bookstore, but... This scene was not as weird to me as when she leaves the bookstore after finding out that you can basically get all roof access from any part of the building. There's no locks, no nothing. Nope. So she goes up to the rooftop to perform her investigative uh, reporter duties. And 
in the process decides to put herself in the position of where the victim fell off the building. Uh-huh. Why would you do this? <laughs> I have no idea. What would she- I guess I guess she wants to see what it felt like, but she gets way closer than I'd be comfortable with. Yo, yeah, and she's like letting go of everything and wobbling around. Eventually she gets like vertigo and has to step down to puke. Um and then you know, she's greeted to the last thing you want to see after puking, which is um Ricky shoving his head down what uh a it's ventilation like an ex- tube? I think a it's pipe. an exhaust pipe, maybe. Exhaust pipe? Yeah. So you hear the squeaking inside the, the tube here, and I'm thinking, well, Ricky's going to pull out a rat and eat it or something. No, he pulls out a giant demonic-looking grub. <laughs> Just casually. <laughs> and she treats it casually, too. She's like, she oh, acts- no, city bugs. Yeah, it's as if she has seen giant maggot grubs her entire life. <laughs> it, it, they don't even get that big in Florida, man. It's very weird. It's, I don't know. I, there's a lot of that in this movie where characters react to things with nonchalance that they should be alarmed about. But she does run away. And when she gets home, her her sink is absolutely full of roaches. Like sometimes you see this in movies where the, the apartment is like overrun by roaches. I've never seen this before in my life. Like if I saw this many roaches in my sink, I would be calling the exterminator right then. Right. Or hear me out. You could take the raid off your counter and spray everything indiscriminately in the area where you eat your food. Right, but she doesn't do either of those things. Oh, no, she takes bug spray and sprays it everywhere. Isn't that after she sees it crawling out of her food on the plate? Both. She sprays Raid first all over the sink, all over the kitchen counter. And then, you know, she settles down for like the traditional single white girl dinner of noodles and sauce, notices a bug in it, and then starts indiscriminately spraying the table the food the floor there's raid everywhere at this point it's become a biohazard scene which i i want to talk about this spaghetti because she makes herself spaghetti but she knows that she's supposed to be having dinner with her boyfriend's family which i thought well oh she's mad at him she's not going to go but then he calls her and she says she's going to go so do you think she changed her mind or she, did she forget? Like, what is up here? She had a discussion with Janice before leaving that kind of made it seem like she was done with this guy because he wasn't fighting enough for her uh, workplace aspirations. And this was her way of taking it out on him until her dinner was ruined by bugs and the noodles. And so now she's like, well, I got to fucking eat. And this is before you know, Uber eats. So what are you, you going to do? Well, the dad, <laughs> the dad is one of those stereotypical, like obnoxious nineties dads who thinks a woman's place is in the home. You up your tree up yet? It's almost Christmas. Not yet. Lonnie, Kim's Jewish. Oh, Jesus. Nice dear. So you don't have the tree or Christmas. She celebrates Hanukkah. Actually, I'm not religious. 
It's the time of year, really. See, all kinds of cultures have always celebrated something at this time, and Hanukkah and Christmas are just different holidays that deal with it in different ways. Bullshit. No, bullshit. Dad. So, um, you, uh, you work on the newspaper with Hank. Well, we don't exactly work together. Kim works on the calendar, and she also does the classifieds for us. Right. Sounds interesting. Well, I think a woman's place is in the home raising a family. These are really good. You know, woman was made from the rib of man. I, uh, I think that's in your Bible, too, huh? Dad, that's a myth. It's an allegory. It's all relative. You know, it's the tr trouble with you kids today. You know, you think everything is relative. Well, let me tell you something, pal. It is goddamned real. And you had better believe that. It's real, Leyland. And you better believe that. Th this is a little ham-fisted. I you love get, it. You, you get that line in there where she's like, you know, people celebrate the holidays in all sorts of different ways, regardless if it's the Jews or uh, weird bug-worshipping ISIS cultists. Isn't, like, that sounds like the most distilled, politically correct 90s yuppie bullshit a person could possibly say. Yeah. You know, th there is, um, you know, a lot of this Lilith stuff in the Wiccan, like, subculture we're presented with here. But they also start talking about, like, um, was it uh, Iris or Isis? Like, the, some Egyptian goddess at some point at the end? I don't think any of these things have any correlation. It's just like they're throwing shit against the wall, seeing what sticks. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I I have to mention when the son says it's a myth, it's an allegory, it's all relative, as if those three words mean the same thing. <laughs> and I thought that was really funny. But yeah, so this interaction doesn't go very well. Right. And they go outside and have a fight about him not standing up for her, which resolves nothing. And then he starts feeling her up and they continue to fight. Is it weird to you that like this was the feminism of the 90s? Like, do you know what I mean? Like a feminist in a movie wouldn't act like this now. No, not at all. Right. But it's just so weird because this movie presents this like worldview that that everyone has to be cis right and if you tr and if you try to like struggle away from that normality it is like futile because you're always going to be brought back by sexual attraction like you either have to pick self-respect or sex or straight sex and that's it that that is like the the struggle of gender well, you you can be without men if you're willing to sacrifice a little kid. Yes. So, <laughs> right. That's the key to lesbianism. This, this is what happens when men write a feminist lesbian film. <laughs> Silent Night, Deadly Night 4 initiation. 
so when she gets home, her house is absolutely covered in bugs. And this is when we see the huge cockroach. And this is, by, this is the best part of the film. By the huge, I part. mean, it's like the size of a dog, right? I love how this scene is framed. She First, she gets home and I think she like throws up or some shit. She, like she's obviously not feeling great. Probably because right. of that date she ate. <laughs> right. And we see her like standing in her hallway and then just barely off the corner of the frame, you start to see giant antennas sort of wiggle their way into the camera, which she does not notice as she turns around and runs to the bathroom. But then that's when the camera kind of like zooms out and we see this gigantic cockroach and it looks really cool. This is the magic of Screaming Mad George. Like, I love his special effects. And I also love how unabashedly wacky they are. Like, they're not really tr aiming for realism. They're aiming for gross out and, like, memor becoming memorable, I guess. But, like, the eyes are gyrating all around and clicking and the um, the feelers are going, like, all maniacally. It's It's, like, the perfect horror movie version of a giant cockroach and as kim is you know vomiting up everything from the family dinner uh, into the toilet uh we are shown a scene of the bathroom door and the like little antenna coming under the crack of the door just feeling around <laughs> yeah it's it, those kinds of little details are what make this great is it, it I agree. This is the best part of the movie. This, and I really like the like trippy dream sequence shit, but this is, this is probably the, this is definitely the best special effects scene in the movie. Although it might be beaten by the one where the bugs sort of crawl under her skin, like up through her and out of her mouth, but we'll get there. So she decides to go to the picnic the next day and we meet the rest of the uh, do we want to call it a coven? Sure. And the even the wise mother is there, Catherine. And the way FEMA like throws her arms around um, Kim and kisses her on the cheek, it's as if they were close friends, you know, or sisters or mother and daughter. So you get like, I think we get that intimacy right away, but it's weird to me. It makes FEMA uncomfortable. Like I would not want to be around a person like FEMA. FEMA is uh, abnormally touchy and close for someone who is basically a complete stranger. But I think the fact that Kim is in this uh, dodgy relationship is kind of just pushing her into FEMA's arms causing her to kind of maybe be a little bit more disarmed about what's going on. We also have to consider that Kim may at this point not be in her right mind because the magic is already in place, right? She's eaten a date of questionable source. <laughs> um, and she has been exposed to the touch of Ricky, the mark of Ricky. And, uh, also, she's seen a giant fucking bug and was apparently not fucking phased by it at all. She's seen multiple giant bugs at this point. Yeah, but this was like the demonic grub thing. But it's weird because, as I said earlier, it comes to a point where FEMA wants him to be like her daughter, 
but then they're also like kissing and acting romantic. And so it's just, um, it's just odd, but there comes a point where Kim is laying back on the, on the picnic blanket, like all stoned out of her mind. And her boyfriend Hank shows up while all the rest of the coven are down talking by the water. And so, um, her boyfriend sort of rescues her, sort of kidnaps her from the scene to take her to work. This is, I think that's the point though, right? Because the boyfriend was led there by someone who was also later to be confirmed as part of the coven. I mean, it's spoiler. It's the, the coworker Janice. Um, I don't know. I didn't think that was very well hidden. Did you? No, no. There's obviously something weird about her. Yeah. The, the well, I, movie... think the, I think the, the whole point was to show the, the stark contrast between like the warm, welcoming nature of the coven compared to like aloof man who will never quite understand her from the female perspective. Yeah. It, you know, this movie is not subtle in its themes, right? It's very heavy handed. Like, I think every character that has a hidden motive every theme about feminism they want us to to take away like it's all very clear in that way it's like mind body and soul as well so yeah they have like she has this weird conversation with janice when she gets to work like how did you know where i was you know how did you know what i wanted and it's it's very suggestive and it leads us to believe that janice must be up to something I wasn't quite sure what it was, but I knew she was involved somehow. When when Hank so at this point, Eli, Reggie Bannister, gives her the assignment. See, I thought this was like the the magical influence of the coven was making him change his mind. I figured uh I figured Hank here probably stood up for her a little bit and he relented. He kind of stands up for her in this scene which is something yeah and when and when they go out because so they decide to work on the story together i guess and they're out at the the uh spontaneous combustion scene taking pictures and things hank gives her the weirdest apology i've ever seen he like takes her hands in his like she's a little child and he wraps them around real weird it's like you can't see me but with my hands i'm rubbing them together very awkwardly it was a terrible scene <laughs> it's really weird you know i i really want to talk about this yeah hank and kim's relationship is this a normal is this was this a normal 90s relationship and i'm just like so fucking alienated for and, and distanced from what this is supposed to be or is this really dysfunctional I mean, I definitely think it's dysfunctional, but it doesn't seem that weird to me. It seems like they have normal relationship drama. Granted, I don't know why they're together, <laughs> but... It does seem a little forced, but let, let's look past that, right? Um, Like, if I were in Kim's position, and I were was dating somebody who was seen as, like, a, a senior at work, I don't think I, I would be trying to make, like, demands as to any sort of promotion or side grade or whatever to my job. That seems, it does seem unethical in a way. I actually think that 
like in the 90s, this would not have been the faux pas it is now. Like, I think inner office romances were kind of hip at this point. It's so weird to think that that could be like an end thing. I'm pretty sure it was. Because that is normally a recipe for disaster. I, I, I mean, I agree probably in real life, but I definitely think there was a moment in film uh, in popular culture where it was a hip thing to do. Like, I do feel for Kim's uh, predicament here where like no one in the workplace is taking her seriously, even though she's probably way qualified to do the job. But the way she reacts to it is just really disheartening. It makes it harder for me to root for her. And on the same and on, and on that same note for Hank's position, I, I don't know his intentions because at first I thought he was just kind of using her for sex, but then he invites her to her to his family's house, which she then slights for the work out of, out of resentment. Like, I don't know, that would have been like an immediate, like relation terminating thing for me. Uh, Especially this early on, like you, you're not commit like what you've known each other for like what a week. Yeah. I don't know if I would say it was like a relationship ender for me, but it's definitely not a good sign. I mean, I also wouldn't invite someone to come meet my parents in like a week. So, um, yeah, I definitely did that shit. Uh, at least when I was younger. Um, but anyhow, now, uh, yeah, I, I don't think they have a healthy relationship, but, um, I think the movie wants us to think that like, you know, uh, what's his name? Hank gets a good character arc, right? He kind of gets, he kind of gets rehabilitated during the course of the film. Oh my God. Is he like the, the like white man's apologist pariah? Maybe like he, he does the turnaround and. Then he gets his apt justice for it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> oh. He he learns too little too late. But after he leaves the, the scene, Kim goes to see uh, FEMA and accepts some tea, which I think is quite unwise. They talk about how powerful imagination is. I bet you and what's your boyfriend's name? Hank? Yes, I bet you and Hank have great sex. Well, sure we do. And yet when it's over, you have the feeling that something is missing. Things perfect, you know? Yes, there is this parasitic quality to man. And you have to get it out in order to gain power of your own self. Now look what you've done. Uh, take this. FEMA blatantly sprinkles something into her tea, and when she tastes the tea, she's like, oh, it's bitter. And FEMA says, oh, you'll get used to it. That would, Right there, I'd be like, no, I'm not drinking any more of this tea. I'm telling you, Kim is not in her right mind. I don't think you can totally uh, blame her agency on what's going on. She's been... I mean, you could blame it for eating the first date, Maybe. And then after that, it's you just got to consider that she is being manipulated into the rest of the uh, initiation. Although I don't know how much of an initiation it really is if you're just kind of being shoehorned into it. it feels like there should be some kind of voluntary decision here. I was going to say it's more like a hazing. 
Right. <laughs> That's not as good of a title though, right? <laughs> no. No, that would suggest a very different kind of movie. And this movie already has an identity crisis. But when when Kim spills the tea and uh, FEMA scolds her, we heard it in the clip, like like a child, right? It's um, At this point, it was very odd to me. I didn't know that they were building up towards this I want to replace my daughter thing. In retrospect, though, it makes sense. Because um, yeah. I didn't catch it at the time either, first watching this scene. Also, her daughter's name is Lily, short for Lilith. Yeah. Yeah. So this is, and, and this is where the date turns into a beetle and she eats it really violently. Like, <laughs> you're like the crunching. <laughs> um, yeah, she eats it very violently. And, and then immediately, like, bowls over in pain. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and I guess passes out. We get like a dream sequence. We actually get a flashback reel where we see scenes throughout the movie like flash through her mind. I hate it when movies do this. I think it's so lazy. Ditto. I like, mean, there's it, a couple new things in here, but yeah. Oh, actually, you know what? There's some things from the future in here too. Yeah, Are there? I didn't yeah, notice. Yeah, you know, like you see, uh, well, spoiler, like Hank's body fall into the floor mm. so okay it's not a total flashback well when she wakes up this scene is pretty awesome this is uh this is where all the women are standing around her and she's like laying on is she laying on the floor or on a table she is on a couch and they draw ash marks on her body and then clint howard comes in with this giant maggot he puts it on right on her stomach, and the older woman says, Earth to Earth, mother to daughter. Which I don't know what that means. <laughs> and I think the maggot, like, goes inside of her? Well, first they cover it with a blanket, and then they sacrifice some kind of rodent over her. I thought it was a rat. And yeah, it could have been a rat. We only see it from, like, a... <laughs> like a down to up view so it's kind of disorienting and uh i think the worm crawls inside her yeah I, we don't see it blatantly but i think that's what happens we do see it underneath her skin moving up her torso and eventually out of her throat and it looks quite awesome it's very well done how they they did the special effects here because you could see it was like a uh like a multi-phase sort of thing. And at one point they use a fake mouth to push out the biggest part of the beetle. There, there must've been like about four or five different like phases that they use to shoot this. And it looks really cool. Yeah. So I just have to, exp let me walk you through this scene. Cause this is so bonkers. Like it starts out as, as like a big maggot. It, when it comes out of her mouth, it has developed into sort of a, half cockroach half maggot creature um it's much bigger then clint howard cuts it in half and then he holds the the maggot half upside down over kim's face and pours the slime slowly like dribbles it down onto her face and then immediately afterwards there's a shot of the wall and it like changes texture for some reason and then yeah, it's, it's super scene. And it's the next scene. 
That's it. Yeah. The the wall kind of takes on the look of like a I don't know, the inside of a crypt or something. Yeah. But then she just wakes up on a couch in the living room, fully clothed, face non covered bug entrails, and uh well actually maybe her face is a little oily. I'm not sure, but I'll tell you what, if I ever have a dream like this and all of this other weird shit is going on in my life, I'm going to assume it happened. <laughs> I'm just going to like it um. because it, it it always did. <laughs> but when she tries to leave cuz she's understandably freaked out, all the other women like surround her and rush her back into the house and they say she has to finish. And um, Kim says, what do you want from me? And FEMA says, I want my daughter back. So that's the first indication we have that she wants like a new daughter. I mean, this movie is already like an hour, 26 minutes, but I feel like you really need to groom someone a little harder before putting something that heavy on them. I need you to replace my daughter. It feels like you kind of need to know somebody for a couple of years before you do that. I, I mean, everything in this movie moves pretty fast. There's a scene but, where she totally goes off the rail. She goes to Hank's house and like freaks out and takes his key and uh, screams about needing room and runs off like a crazy person. She stops up the toilet with newspaper and drinks a bottle of mouthwash I had no idea what we were supposed to think she was up to in this scene. I don't think... Okay, so starting from, like, the weird ritual shit that we just witnessed and and on to the end of the film, it's kind of like society. We're not really supposed to understand exactly what's going on. You're just here to witness these bizarre, I guess, foreign, alien, uh, cultural differences that... uh, probably is not a big deal to them but is absolutely monstrous to us i guess that's really the only impression you need to to get yeah okay but she becomes totally sexually dominant and like pushes him down on the bed and grinds on top of him and he seems to totally forget how insane she's been or at least he he's like i'm cool with this kind of crazy you know Oh, I, I would imagine like in this position, you're like, okay, if this is keeping her calm, let's just roll with it. Well, she if, says she's like, I want to fuck you while you're sleeping. And you just go, <laughs> okay, <laughs> sure. But we see there that there are roaches all over the apartment, and that me that can only mean one thing: that Clint Howard is about to show up. But he sees that they're having sex, and he just sits on the edge of the bed to watch TV. I think, I think he's watching one of the earlier Silent Night, Deadly Night films. That's what I figured, but I hadn't seen them. Yeah, there. It, my memory's hazy enough that I wasn't positive, but I think he is. And uh, he, he eventually he's just like, hey, Kim, come on, we got to go. <laughs> and that's when Hank realizes he's there and they have a broomstick fight. <laughs> At some point, Clint bites hank in the leg and i swear a bite from clint howard would be like the bite a bite from a diseased rat oh yeah you're gonna need like 12 booster shots in your ass to to treat whatever he could potentially have exactly i mean on the one hand like i'm sorry clint howard i'm not trying to slight you but you've made a career out of playing these types of characters like i think you've accepted it 
you're kind of a, a weird, scary dude. It isn't just a bite, man. He like rips into that tendon, like dark blood comes out. I will say there is this line that was kind of surprising coming from Clint where Hank says, just leave her alone. And Clint Howard says, what do you own her before he proceeds to kidnap her right? or tries to anyway? But I thought that was interesting. It's almost like Clint Howard has picked up some of that feminist talk from the Lilith sisters. How strong do you think you have to be to like take a regular ass dull kitchen knife and punch it through a solid wooden door? Or is this a really cheap door? I think you have to be pretty powerful, but I also know that this knife is not at all sufficient for what he wants to do with it, which is break down a door. But I'll tell you what. He might not be good at breaking down a door, but he absolutely murders the shit out of Hank. It's it's actually kind of a this kitchen scene, like when after he stabs the door and he goes back and Clint goes back for Hank. It's just like so strange how casually he's stabbing Hank. Like he just like goes like one, two, three, and he's just talking to him like you know, hey, you know, we need to get out of here. Yeah, just can can you leave us alone now? And it's just jabs. Like, he's not even trying to kill Hank. He's just like, are you ready to stop? Just come on. Let's go. But then he gets ultra violent, and it's mostly off screen, but I think he, like, just sort of squishes his head to death. Oh, I figured he had the knife again and just killed him. Oh, maybe. But it sounds really, like, squishy. I don't know. Maybe I just had my volume up too high. And that's it. That's what Hank gets for trying to stand in the, the, the stick in there. So Clint ends up locking her in the slaughterhouse. And this is the weirdest, most confusing scene in the movie. We see glimpses of like an orgy and there's a guy with a a, a mask with a really long penis nose. There's some naked women. And then this guy just rapes Kim while everyone laughs. It's horrifying. It's a horrifying scene. That's not just the guy. That's Ricky. Oh, is that Ricky? That is Ricky. I didn't realize. Doesn't it seem a little like antithetical to what you're trying to accomplish as like a witch, as a lesbian witch coven to have, you know, a, a rape scene to, to initiate you into the cult? Uh, you would think so. I mean, that's one of my issues with this movie is it's mixing together too much imagery and symbolism and themes like you've got you've got all the Lilith stuff and the like Eve was framed narrative then you've got the like ideas of insemination right like these creatures are gonna either you're gonna be raped or they're gonna penetrate you and then they're gonna you're gonna birth them back out and there's like all this birthing of our fears and killing imagery and then there's for some reason they're bugs which i think is just to like show a bunch of cool bugs it, anyway it just it it feels like too many different things that don't necessarily go together including and this is, and this is where I, isis is thrown in there randomly like the egyptian goddess yeah the only thing i can think of and and this is again trying to rationalize scenes that probably have no 
actual backstory to them this is probably just all there for shock value is that maybe this is some sort of like um ritual and to sort of turn you off to men like show you this is like the barbaric like brutal side of men that you don't want to be involved with so come over to our lesbian witch coven and you'll never have to deal with this again because this coven also keeps ricky as like a as like a pet he's not a person he he he's like he's not even a servant it feels like he's a pet and they tell him like tricks to get him to do things the, the the only person who really wrangles the demonic maggots that we see th- throughout the film, he's not exactly the shining representation of manhood, right? So I think he's sort of, uh, his function is twofold, right? It's as like a slave and is as like a, a, like a punching bag for like the, the average male like persona, right? This is, this is their way of, kicking down the, the the patriarchy well there's even a scene early on where fema says to kim right in front of ricky like oh yeah he should really be institutionalized <laughs> <laughs> and i was like wow that's harsh like if you're if someone you know thinks you need to be institutionalized that's pretty serious well, at the time, we didn't know they knew each other, right? So I, I kind of took that comment at the time as like, you know, the government should really be helping him out. But, you know, well, what's free medical care in this country? So there, we keep seeing scenes where like her fingers get all wobbly and then fuse together or her legs fuse together. And oh, at one point, she wakes up in the slaughterhouse the next day and she has to shed her like new leg skin. Well, much like the beetle, right? She had to uh, like emerge from her like pupa state into her new existence. I think that was supposed to be the purpose of her shedding that that weird exoskeleton sort of thing. The fingers are later shown to be some kind of symptom of her witch-like power about to consume her if she does not take the proper uh, ceremony to appease, I'm assuming Lilith or or Isis or something, but the bug god or the bug god, yeah, yeah. Who knows? Who knows? There's there's a lot of there's a lot of deities pulling the strings here. But I really like the butcher comes in and he says, "You have been initiated." <laughs> <laughs> like he's in it too. <laughs> I kind of imagine that. He's not in it. It's just he's used to seeing this, like girls waking up in his uh, slaughterhouse and shedding like, their skins. Like he shows up for work in the morning, like 6 a.m., like a responsible person to start butchering the animals coming in off the truck. And he's like, oh, my fucking sister's doing her witch shit in the freezer again. Yeah, <laughs> it, it's it's another initiation. <laughs> Like, you know. really, guys, you just had the suicide that, that just occurred. You need to lay down till the heat gets low. <laughs> yeah, that's that's really how I felt about it. But we find out that, or at least the version that the coven gives her, is that her fear has now materialized. And if she doesn't bring it a life to feed to it, then it will feed on her. And so they want her to bring Hank's little brother to be sacrificed. Is there a reason it has to be him? He's 
been he's the only little kid in the film. <laughs> they don't so want to hire just, another little, little kid. <laughs> does it have to be a kid? Does it have to be innocent or is it a virgin? Like what is it um, you need? Perhaps the will of of Lilith is that you must sacrifice someone that is somewhat tangently close to you. And seeing mm-hmm. as she had a very minor heart-to-heart connection with this kid in the first 20 minutes of the film that marked him for death? Well, regardless, it's not very clear, and it's never explained. Like everything else. (laughs) There's a very weird scene where she takes the police to Hank's house to show them that he was murdered, and of course, there's nothing amiss. It wasn't Hank's apartment that this happened in. It was hers. Okay, her apartment. But yeah, um, through the power of witchcraft, I guess, they uh, they ended up fixing the bathroom mirror that was shattered, the bathroom door that was knifed. There, there's no blood on the carpet. Basically, they had, a, a, I guess, a Wiccan evidence disposal team swing by and clean up the whole place before the officer could get there. And so, of course, in traditional 90s fashion, the investigator is extremely... Uh, skeptical of Kim's story and suggests she get mental help. <laughs> yeah. But not so in a very professional way. No, he's like, do you, do you, are you currently seeing a therapist? She's like, no. He says, would you like the number of one? Something like that. No, that now that is a very 90s thing. If you're seeing a therapist, that means you're mentally unstable. Oh, yeah. It was like the, the mark of death at that point. Like, if you're younger than us, you probably don't understand this because, like, neurodivergence and mental illness has now become glamorized even. But, like, it used to be the kiss of death. Like, if you admitted you'd seen a psychiatrist, that was, like, kissing a lot of jobs goodbye. Anyway, can we skip the office Christmas party scene? Do we need to talk about that? Um basically she shows up to the office everything she ever wanted comes true she gets hank's job and then uh, she gets pissed off at janice pissed off at another co-worker for making a sick burn and then uh, storms off and eventually clint chases her back to is she does she go back to her house no she starts to hide out in a hotel thinking that's enough to get away from the coven right and, um because she is shirking her sacrifice duties, Lilith decides it's time to set her bottom half on fire. So she starts to notice her uh, ankles burst into flames. So she hops in the shower to try to put it out, but you know that's it's not really enough. That's not enough fire resistance for no. your character. So <laughs> eventually, she goes, "I'll do it!" She screams, "I'll do it!" As Ricky breaks into the apartment, yeah, because he porn is playing on the television like it's sixteen tongues. <laughs> at the same time <laughs> Clint Howard is like if you just do what she says it'll stop because the because uh, FEMA is on the TV saying you have no choice you must bring the boy to feed your fears before they feed on you oh and, and she gets uh, the wobbly fingers too yeah she gets the wobbly fingers wobbly fingers but yeah just saying that she'll do it is enough to make it stop so it whoever this god or goddess is that wants this sacrifice is a very understanding deity. Well, just think of it as like an organized crime racket, right? 
Like if someone owes you money, you don't want to kill them. You just want to keep putting the fear of them dying into their mind so that they'll keep paying you, even if it's not the full amount, to pay you something. Because it's not good for business to kill all your victims. Well, this is where the movie becomes really distasteful for me because she goes and with with Clint Howard and they kidnap the little kid by lying to him and saying that his brother, who has been murdered at this point, is out in the truck waiting for him. And then they speed off with him. Oh, there's more to it than that. After the kid gets in the van, they could just leave Scott free. Instead, Ricky goes into the house, strangles dad to death with Christmas lights, and in the process accidentally burns the house down with an electrical fire, presumably killing the mother who's tied up in another part of the house. That didn't really bother me, ironically, because, like, one, I thought the parents were kind of assholes anyway, but secondly... What did the mom do? It supported the dad. Did she really support the dad? I think she's guilty by association. Oh, come on. But if um, Yeah, you know what? They were they were shitty people and because of that this kid should grow up an orphan. Is that I what you want? Well, let's just say I was not surprised that Clint Howard or the movie would murder these people, but I was very surprised that Kim would agree to kidnap this little kid by lying to him. That's what bothered me. For whatever reason, it really did. I lost any sympathy I might have had for her as a character. Perhaps. All right, and this is a stretch. If she did not help kidnap the kid, then it was basically guaranteed that all the entire family would be murdered. But if she has the kid in her custody, then at the very least, she could do something to save the child, even if she can do nothing for the parents. Because let's say she decides to not do any of it, right? Her her lower torso burns up and she dies somewhere alone. And then the coven goes through with the sacrifice anyway. I guess, but the movie doesn't show us any of that. No, this is a stretch. I often have a problem like this with Brian Yuzna movies where like there's just nobody I sympathize with or care about. The only one that's kind of contrary to that is I really like Return of the Living Dead Part 3, which he did. I, I think the characters are sympathetic in that. But otherwise, most of his films just have really unsympathetic characters to me, and it makes them unlikable. But anyway, instead, when it comes down to it, when they've, they're holding down the little boy and he's screaming for them to stop, the whole coven is there, maggots are flooding out of the pipe, and uh, I think Thema says, kill the man, become a whole woman. But um, Kim stabs Fema instead. And the uh, Fema just pulls the knife out like it was nothing and goes after Kim. But in a very weird twist, Clint Howard decides to protect Kim by stepping between her and FEMA. This came out of nowhere to me. He's just as much a victim as anybody else. It kind of doesn't seem like it because he's sort of a manipulated monster. But I just can't help shake the feeling that there's a lot of lack of free will here on behalf of this coven pushing their spells on others. 
I guess that's true. But then you've got things that he does that like he fucks up and the coven doesn't even want him to do it. Like when he kills Hank and then Janice has to go out there and she's like, what the fuck? Like you screwed this all up. So obviously that wasn't just the the coven's doing. That was just him being like a violent, impulsive idiot. Yeah, but they created that violent, impulsive idiot. Um, I don't know. I'm not ready to give... Just because they fucked up his training, <laughs> like they intentionally raised him like this as a joke, right? Like the, for a very specific purpose. And then they're going to be upset with him because he doesn't have like the grace and decorum to properly kidnap someone without committing murder. Like, come on, man. The, 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 he tries to stab through a bathroom door with a knife. Yeah. Well, he ends up being devoured by his own maggots. They do not discriminate. No. He is uh, he is stabbed by FEMA and devoured by maggots. He conveniently rolls into a crevice where they're all located. So then, you know, we get to this climactic moment, FEMA standing over a, a soon-to-be-incinerated Kim on the rooftop, and the curse starts to kick in. You know, your fingers do the, the stretch Armstrong bullshit. <laughs> she wraps them together into a like almost like a spear a burning spear which then is shoved into the stab wound of fema and uh this apparently pushes the burden of sacrifice onto fema and she uh immediately bursts into flames and falls off the rooftop i thought maybe this um like what the wrapping of the fingers together was um was the way you sacrifice somebody. No, nah, because you had the knife for that. Yeah, but I I just, this is the way it worked in my head, is you had to stab somebody and, like, get that fresh blood, you know, and then your arms did the ropey thing, and they formed this spiral that you stab into the person, and then they incinerate. That's just how I imagined it happened. Hmm. I don't think FEMA was sacrificed to settle whatever urge the bugs wanted. I think it was more of like she passed on whatever the initiation was to FEMA. Well, we won't ever know, and the movie's not clear. <laughs> so, oh my God. And this movie ends on such a non note, right? Like, she, first off, the witches just kind of look at her helplessly. It kind of, which I guess kind of lends credence to the fact that maybe the coven was sort of just led by FEMA or some sort of influential magic that kept them all together because they do nothing to stop Kim. Nope. Absolutely nothing. And they so seem Kim, totally defeated. Kim goes over to the kid, you know, gives him a hug, says everything's going to be all right. And then credits roll completely if- disregarding the fact that, you know, his parents are dead. His brother is dead, and he just witnessed some totally fucked up Wiccan shit that's going to scar him for life. Well, and she kidnapped him and helped hold him down with a knife to his throat. Like, I would not trust this person ever again. Well, when you're like eight, I don't know. You kind of get like weird feelings. You don't know how to feel about things. Mm, I don't know. This seems like a pretty clear-cut case of, yeah, that woman tried to kidnap and sacrifice me. <laughs> but but she had second thoughts. 
or that was the plan the whole time and she just executed it at the end fair enough but imagine like they did the 90s thing and this kid ended up going home with her and she adopted him and all of that for the rest of his life he'd be like uh remember that time that you were gonna sacrifice me like that's the ultimate trump card right that's what you do to milk your your foster mom into getting you an N64. Yeah, that's my point. Yeah. <laughs> All right, let's give final thoughts and a rating out of four. So, so this, my impression is coming from somebody who has never seen an SNDN film. <laughs> so I had zero expectations to shatter. Uh, when it came to uh, seeing if this lived up to the other entries in the series. And um, Luke, I'm assuming the first three just involved a killer Santa, right? Yeah. Yeah. Was Clint Howard even in those? Nope. Is he in any of the other ones? He may have had a small part in five. I can't remember. Because if this Ricky character is like consistently in all the movies, but as different actors, I'd imagine maybe they would find a way to bring him back. Well, in the first two movies, he's the same actor. In the third one, I don't remember it very well, but I think he's the same actor. He's in a coma and he like psychically fights somebody. Wow. If I remember correctly. I was going to say that's far out, but compared to what we just watched, that's really tame. (laughs) Yeah. Let's see. The fifth one was directed by a different guy, Martin Kittrosser, but it was written by Brian Usna, so he stayed involved. And in the in the fifth one, Mickey Rooney plays like a psycho Santa that's making um, toys that kill people. Oh, so they just go right back to solid Christmas horror after this one. Yep. They probably could have done a little bit of a better job connecting Christmas to the general theme of this film, but I don't know. Maybe it's not that big of a deal. It, I mean, if Die Hard is a Christmas film, this will certainly qualify. It is during the season, and that is the most important aspect of a Christmas film, I'd imagine. At least there's a Christmas tree, right? There's a, there's a scene where people open presents. Yeah, there are some Christmas scenes. Yeah, I mean, I don't necessarily think you need a Christmas horror film to have a Christmas-themed antagonist, necessarily. And these are presumably a bunch of Wiccans that are performing their end-of-the-year ceremonies in their own way. Although the script neglects to really explain on any level what the fuck they're doing, besides the fact that if they don't have a child sacrificed, then... Everything south of your stomach will just turn into barbecue. <laughs> yeah, you're. Uh, if you do, you're too weak. That's what they keep saying. She was too weak. She was too weak. Man, if only she thought to turn her hands into a flaming spear and stab the matron, that would have just kind of worked everything out, huh? I'm a little mixed on this film. On one hand, I love the special effects. I think all of the ritualistic stuff is really cool um i'm still not quite sure what the rape scene had to do with any of it i think that probably could have been left out and unless there was some sort of um like brutal explanation they could have maybe put on the side 
feels like maybe there could have been a little bit of a narration, like a, a master of the ceremonies, as you will, kind of walking through some of the steps, not over explaining, but maybe at least giving us a bit of an impression of what's happening. But if, if the filmmaker's intention was to just throw out a bunch of esoteric bullshit to shock us, then, you know, job, job well done. Um, I especially liked all of the bugs. Uh, I am not someone who's afraid of bugs or spiders at all. Um, I, I mean, I own like two tarantulas. I think they're cool. And I think all of the special effects involving bugs real and uh, manufactured are all super cool. That, that cockroach the size of a small dog was just like the highlight of the film for me. I'm still not sold on the power of the coven. I mean, outside of making bugs appear everywhere, um, I did, which really seemed to be a side effect more than a than an ability. I, I still have no idea what the handoff was supposed to be between uh, being a regular ass straight girl and becoming a witch. Um, outside of you know changing your dating opportunities, yeah, she her workplace the uh, role changed throughout the film, but that felt more like a like a like a setup rather than like the result of a spell but perhaps i am just close-minded as to the actual effective uh, powers of magic right i don't like most of the characters like luke was harping on kim does make some very questionable decisions near the end of the film um and although i do sympathize with her position in in the workplace um, I feel like she doesn't handle it particularly well. But then again, as a cis white male, maybe I just don't understand what that life was about, especially in the 90s. And I wouldn't have known how to properly dig my way out of that hole if there was even an option. But um, all things considered, uh, this movie is like a really fun watch. Uh, the Again, the special effects are super fucking cool. Um, you, you're not quite sure where the plot's going. It's not super predictable. I would actually recommend this to some normies as like a weird ass film, which is more than I can say for a lot of the stuff we watch where it's pretty niche, but for a star rating, right? It's not put together well enough for a four because it's just missing some stuff. But I would say this is probably on like an entertainment scale. Man, this kind of seems like an overshoot, but maybe it's just because I like giant cockroaches so much. Probably like three stars. Wow. Okay. I know that's probably way higher than it deserves, but I just giant cockroach, man. I, I'm not that much of a fan of this movie. Um, there are certain things about it. I like, I really like all of the special effects, just like Leland. I like the general imagery. Um, even if the special effects were bad, I would still like the imagery of like the bugs and the witchcraft and the, um, Aside from the rape, the sexuality, like all that stuff is is big wins for me. Like any sort of satanic imagery or counter cultural imagery, like I'm there for. Uh, so that's all cool. I like Clint Howard being Clint Howard. Like that's fun. Um, notice we didn't talk about the actors at all outside of Clint Howard because they really don't matter. Like they're serviceable. They're fine. But nobody puts in like a nobody creates a real authentic character. Right. These are archetypes. They're 90s archetypes. Um, and I think they're particularly unlikable ones. I just uh, can't get invested with any of them. So even though I think the movie's like really cool and 
I generally put it on in the background around Christmas time. Like I don't watch one, two and three very much, but I usually watch this and the fifth one around Christmas just because they're they're wacky and strange and bonkers enough to like warrant a viewing. Um, But I don't know. I'm going to give this one and a half. Holy shit. Yeah. What the fuck? I think it's pretty bad. You think this movie's that bad? I think it's pretty bad. No there's way. just so much there's so much that's uh, that's left unexplained that do, that the movie doesn't even try to reconcile. It almost feels like there's a bunch of stuff cut out. Like a whole bunch of plot developments were cut out of the movie. Oh my gosh, this is my the child. Uh maybe. Or I I like it a lot. Well, not a lot, but I like it enough. <laughs> and then you're you're uh just not impressed. Well, I mean, I like it enough to rewatch it, right? Like, I still recommend people watch it. But in terms of raking whether it's a good movie or not, no, I think it's pretty bad. Even with some of the other bad movies we cover, there's enough, like, artistic or odd inspiration there that, like, there's something for me to latch on to. But with this movie, it's really just the special effects. Perhaps I'm just a little bit more like affected by how just the surprising left turn of this film because again i went in expecting like santa claus murder film and came out with giant bugs that makes sense so maybe maybe just the initial shock of seeing initiation is is playing a little bit too hard on me maybe if i like rewatch this a little later knowing what's coming i'll be uh, a little less a little more whelmed by it well, that is it for Silent Night, Deadly Night 4, Initiation. We are mixing up our um, format a little bit. We're, we have a, a cool new way of choosing the films that we cover. Um, this is Leland's brainchild, so I'm going to let him explain. All right, so we're going to try categories. If this ends up not working out we will abandon it probably go back more to uh host's choice to try to pick titles we're going to try very hard not to be slaves to the genre or the 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 topic that we choose but we're going to see if we can maybe explore some new territory for both of us by picking uh films that match certain categories that maybe we wouldn't um normally otherwise venture into Thank yeah, Le- so Leland has come up with all of these categories, and the way I'm thinking about this is he's throwing categories at me that I have no expectation for, and I'm going to have to come up with some movies to fit it. And there will be some of these categories where I will have something I want to watch, and we will toss that in there as well. All right, so here, that's, this is how it's going to work. We're going to pull three categories. We're going to pick one to do, and then if Luke decides one of the other categories is a total bomb, we will remove that one from the list. All right, let's try it in action. So we're going to use the Magic 8-Ball for this, right? Yeah, I suppose we should bust that shit out. It's been a while. All right, I'm shaking it up. All right, so our first three categories, 
We have offensive, outdated transgender portrayals, Frankenstein-esque monsters, or nurses. It's just nurses. So can I just pick one? Yeah, you just pick one. All right, I'm going to pick nurses. All right, nurses, just nurses. All right, so I'll think about it, and I'll come up with three films, and I'll shoot them over to Leland, but uh, everyone else, there'll be a secret. So you'll be surprised by the wonderful nurse films that we bring you over the next few weeks. And of course, uh, do you want to remove either of the two other options? No, they're good. All right, they're going back in the box. Cool. Until next time, then, you can follow us on Instagram at video.store.nightmares. And uh, that's where I post everything we do. Please rate, review, and subscribe anywhere that you listen to us. Uh, We would really appreciate that. And we appreciate you for listening every week or two weeks or three weeks or whenever we manage to get you an episode, which I promise is as often as we possibly can. Um, Leland, any last words? Thank you for your continued support. All right. We'll talk to you next week about some unknown nurse film. Have a good one, everybody. Ha 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 